Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. There is a deep connection between contentment and gratefulness. When you are discontent, you are often ungrateful. What you have is not enough, so why would you thank others for it? Or why would you thank God for it? If you're not a grateful person, you probably aren't a content person. But the reverse is also true. When you are intentionally grateful, it often leads to greater contentment. In a time and place of great blessing, Americans enjoy unprecedented prosperity. We have cell phones, food of all kinds from all over the world, machines to wash our clothes, cars to get us to and from wherever we want to go, and houses to keep us safe, dry, and warm. Despite these many blessings, discontentment can ruin our peace. In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches us that the secret to contentment is gratefulness. We must remain thankful for all the Lord provides in order to avoid selfish grumbling. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message, The Secret of Contentment, from the book of Philippians, chapter four. One of the great ironies of American life is that we have more than nearly any people or nation before us in world history, and yet we are still not content. This is insane, but I was looking up statistics that someone in the bottom 10% of American income, okay, bottom 10% is still in the top 14% of global wealth. So if you took one of the poorest people in America and compared them to everyone else in the world, they'd still be in the top 14%. If you could make a list of things that people in third world countries want or strive for or are aiming for, or even stuff that people across world history would want, you realize, man, we are pretty rich. Uh, we have indoor plumbing. There are some centuries that would give a lot for that. That is pretty awesome. Um, there are grocery stores where we gather exotic produce from um, days and days journeys away in exotic locales. We can uh, go to restaurants in almost any city that has flavors and tastes from around the world. Um, we have the, the, almost the entirety of a digital television and movie library available for the low price of like 10 bucks a month. Uh, we each probably almost all have a supercomputer that we can fit into our pocket. Um, we have cars that go faster than any ship or steam train could ever take you. And yeah, the added bonus of being able to drive it wherever you want. And we have all of these things. And I think American life, though, is still defined by discontent. Um, and discontent doesn't just relate to money either. Maybe what fires you up is a meaningful job or a career or a vocation and you've spent your life chasing that instead of dollar signs, and yet it's still not totally fulfilling. Maybe what you deeply long for is a relationship, to have a spouse that loves you, that is your soulmate. Or maybe you've longed deeply for a child, and that hasn't happened either. Maybe there's a specific accomplishment you crave. You think, if I could get to this level or achieve this success, then I'd be content. 
Maybe there's a body that you want to achieve through workout and training and fitness, an image that you want to have and you want to project to people around you. But the sad truth about all of these things is that they may bring joy for a while, but often even when we have them, discontent creeps in. Or even if we can have them for a moment, often they slip away or get taken away. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm a little bit tired of the roller coaster of life as it relates to contentment, always being pulled up and down. And today, Paul is going to offer us a better approach. Paul is going to show us how to approach life in such a way that we can have a contentment that stands stable and solid regardless of what's going on around us. Now, Paul is is going to give the church his example, but he wants the church to learn from his example. Um, He's essentially been saying in the previous passages, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at how I'm living. I want you to imitate that. And so we're going to study the rarest of human species, the content man. And the question that we are going to ask together is this, what is the secret of contentment? Um, There's so many, I love that he uses the language secret uh, of contentment because Man, nothing entices Americans like knowing that there's a secret that they don't know, right? It's like, what's the secret? It's like, oh, I can't tell you it's a secret. You've got to take this course and pay uh, five to ten easy payments of $29.95, and then we'll tell you the secret. Well, Paul doesn't do that. He just gives it to us. And so uh, four sections this morning. The first section is this, a secret that changes our outlook. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of track this and arrive at the secret at the end. So I'm going to sort of make you wait, and Paul makes you wait till the end. Verse, I mean, section one, a secret that changes our outlook. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can sort of read this in like a passive-aggressive tone where Paul is saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Almost like um, when your relative says, oh, all the times you forgot my birthday really make me appreciate that you remembered this year, right? You can feel the, oh, the, the correction there a little bit, uh, but that's not what Paul is doing. I think Paul is genuine very genuine, very forthright about what he's saying here. One of the main reasons Paul is writing to this church is to thank them because they, through a guy named Epaphroditus, sent Paul a generous financial gift for Roman prison. Now, in Roman prison, uh, you didn't have like things provided for you. It wasn't like, oh, you, you have good meals, um, or you have decent meals, you have a place to sleep, you have medical care. No, they, they provided a jail cell, um, or house arrest with chains on you, and then you essentially, if you get sick, man, you got to hope you got some money, you better pay a doctor. Oh, you want something to eat? Oh, sure. Well, you can bring your own food, right? Everything that, if you want some parchment to write on, that's on you too. And so Paul is grateful that they're providing for his needs and providing for him to be able to continue to minister by writing letters to other people. Paul is sincere, and he says, listen, I know that you have been concerned about me, but you didn't have an opportunity to to help me. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly what prevented them from helping Paul. It may have been that there was a really difficult economic time, which is something Paul references in another one of his letters, that this region was hard hit economically. It, It could have been that they had no way to reach Paul, or they didn't have a messenger, or 
one of any number of things. And Paul means to genuinely thank them and express gratefulness for what they have done. Now, here's what's important to notice. Paul could easily have found reason to complain, right? He could have easily said like, okay, listen, despite the circumstance, didn't you guys care about me, right? I am suffering for the gospel out here in Rome. The least you could do is send me a little something. Or he could have said, you know what? This is super generous. Could you send a little more next time? I mean, I can't quite afford the medicine yet. I can afford Advil, but not antibiotics. So if you could give me a little bit more, that'd be great. But instead, I think Paul is genuinely full of gratefulness. And his gratefulness extends in two different directions. First, his gratefulness extends to the Philippians. They have done him this great kindness, and Paul wants to communicate to them, which is why one of the reasons he's writing this letter, he wants to communicate, thank you, thank you for doing this. But there's a second direction. He is grateful to God. Look at the way he phrases this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. So he thanks them by way of thanking God. And Paul would agree with the Apostle James, who writes in another letter, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So in their generosity and kindness, Paul sees the Father's generosity and kindness. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, what does this have to do with contentment? Well, there is a deep connection between contentment and gratefulness. When you are discontent, you are often ungrateful. What you have is not enough, so why would you thank others for it? Or why would you thank God for it? If you're not a grateful person, you probably aren't a content person. But the reverse is also true. When you are intentionally grateful, it often leads to greater contentment. When you force yourself to stop and consider, man, what do I have to thank God for? What do I have to thank others for? Um, It is powerful, and both of these things work together. Contentment produces gratefulness. Intentional gratefulness produces contentment. And both of these flow from a heart and an outlook that's been changed by Jesus. And so first application is very simple, that Paul's example should compel us to be intentional about gratefulness. Intentional about recognizing what we've been given and intentional about communicating gratefulness to those who've given it to us. Now listen, this this may seem like just a super basic point, but I think you will see this very much is tied into the secret of contentment. So just let me ask you, how often do you intentionally recognize, pause and recognize what God has given you? either directly or through the means of other people, through circumstances? And how often do you intentionally thank God for what he's given you and intentionally thank others for what God has given through them? That's the first part of the secret of contentment. Second is a secret not tied to circumstance. The second thing we learn about the secret of contentment is it's not tied to circumstance. We often think that if only we had blank, then we'd be content, right? If only we had a certain amount of financial security, if only I had a certain level of income, if only I had true love, then I could face life, regardless of how much money I have. If only I had a good child, then it wouldn't matter the rest of life. But these are all tied to circumstances, right? They go up and down and up and down. And Paul says something radical in verse 11. He says, 
not that I am speaking of being in need. So he's saying, listen, it's not as though I'm truly in need because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now this is, if you think about it, this is a radical, like, like should smack you on the face kind of a statement. Whatever situation is going on, I'm content. And you think, okay, that is kind of insane. Regardless of anything going on, you're still content. I mean, I can imagine some situations that I would be content, situations I would not be content. And Paul says, it doesn't matter. I'm still content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And then he says it again, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he like restates it because he knows the Philippians are going to go, oh, sure, Paul, every circumstance. He says, no, 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 any circumstance and every circumstance. And then it's almost like, I don't think you're getting this. Look, I know how to have a wonderful meal and have no meal. I know how to abound and to be brought low. Anything, everything, I'm okay. I'm content. This is such an important antidote for the way we often think. Because I don't know about you, but I often think, okay, if I had the perfect blend of circumstances, then I would be content, right? Um, this is summed up so well in this poem that I found um, called Present Tense. It goes like this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days, the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20 but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. And it ends this way, my life was over. I never got what I wanted, right? I think it's just such an awesome summation of, Whatever season of life you're in, whatever circumstance you're in, you're in, you think, if only I had this, then, I, then I'd be good, right? If only I had that, then I'd be good. And the good news of this passage is that there is a path to contentment, but Paul says it is not tied to circumstance. And so consider this. What do you think you'd fill in the blank with? in terms of contentment. What do you think, if only I had blank, then I'd be content, right? Maybe if you're, you're a teenager and you're thinking, if only I could finally drive and my mom didn't check on me every five minutes and I could do what I wanted, then I'd be content, right? You're thinking, oh, if only I got married, then I'd be content, right? If only uh, we finally had a little bit more income, then I could be content. If only I was young again, I would be content right? Whatever season of life is, it, we're caught in that roller coaster. Or maybe you're thinking, if only God would give me blank, I would be content. And listen, I, as a pastor, I've seen so many people chase things with moves across the country, with career changes, with 
uh, divorcing and remarrying and, and every and everything you could try, and it doesn't result, it never results in lasting contentment if your contentment is tied to those circumstances. So, where does that leave us? Well, section number three, a secret that is learned. A secret that is learned. There's something else we learn about this secret. It is something that Paul has learned. So, in a sense, we can grasp this, but in another sense, we must learn this. Verse 11 says this. Notice the learning language. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Guys, this is so important and so helpful if you can grasp this. But the secret of contentment isn't simply something that you read and go, okay, I got it, good, now I'm content, right? Just like you, it's like a, like a magic formula that you read it and recite it and then contentment just floods into your heart. That'd be nice, but there's something that we learn through the ups and downs of life, through the circumstances of life. The way I'm going to frame this is almost two schools, right? We're often always in one of two schools, sometimes simultaneously enrolled. And the first school is the school of poverty. Paul says he, he knows how to be brought low. He knows hunger. He knows need. And this is a school that Paul is very familiar with. He spent a lot of time in this school, maybe even repeated some grades in this school, we studied through the passages where Paul um, describes his life, how he's, because of following Jesus, he lost his status among his own people. He was beaten. Uh, my favorite is he throws into this list, and I was stoned, right? And you think, don't people usually die when that happens? Yeah, usually. The only reason they stop throwing stones on him, if you read Acts, is because they thought he was dead. And so you get beaten to the point like, you know, that's pretty rough. You get stoned to the point that everyone's assuming, yeah, this guy's gone. And then he got back up, right? This is, he knows uh, the lows of life. He knows what it's like to be shipwrecked, to spend a day and night on the open sea. Um, he knows what it's like to be slandered, to be gossiped about, to work, to devote your life to tasks, only to have people turn against you and run away from you. He knows what it's like to have absolutely no money, and yet Paul says he learned something through those times, that it wasn't just a pointless exercise. One of the things that God was doing is that he was putting him in a school to learn something. Now, often scripture doesn't say everything about why there's suffering and hardship, but one of the glimpses we see today is that those times are a school where Paul, I mean, where God is teaching us something. He writes later in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Like that is Paul's minimum bar for contentment. Um, and that's good because in Matthew 6, Jesus promises, listen, if your father clothes the flowers of the field, if he provides for the birds of the air, surely he'll provide you for you. And so Paul is saying, listen, my minimum bar is if I've got food, if I've got clothing from a material perspective, I'm content. I can't preach the gospel naked, so I need the clothes. 
I need the food so that I can keep preaching the gospel. And if I've got that, then I'm good. And, and this is not like hyperbole, you know, like you have this friend that's like, no matter what happens, I'm going to do this. Like Paul's literally lived this. There were times where he had nothing except for, well, really his faith, and he was still content. And to one degree or another, we are all enrolled in this school at different times of our life. This is the school we enroll in when our bank account balance is low. When you get that email from your bank, like, oh, you're overdrawn. What would you like to do? When sickness or illness comes, when loss comes, when conflict comes, when the medical bills arrive and you're not sure how you're going to repay them, when you realize in management that your company can't survive another quarter if this continues, when layoffs began rolling through your company, the question that rings through all these times is, even if everything else goes away, is Jesus enough? Right? Is, that's, that's really the question at the end of the day. Is Jesus enough? Because that's all that Paul really had, right? He had a cloak, he had a little bit of food, and he had Jesus. And is that enough? And here's the amazing thing. According to Paul, according to Paul, it is at those times that we learn contentment. That at those times where all we have is Christ, we begin to grasp that Christ is enough. We begin to learn the lessons of the school of poverty. So friend, are you in the school of poverty or hardship or the school of being brought low today? Don't lose heart. As I said, uh, we could spend a lot of time unpacking wh why difficult things happen in our lives. What does God allow difficult things in our lives? Why does God bring difficult things into our lives? We don't know everything, but we know at least this, this morning, that God through those times is teaching us something about contentment, that it is an opportunity and God is doing something through it and in it. So that's the school of poverty. The second school is a bit more popular the school of abundance, right? He talks about, I've abounded. I've, um, I've had times of plenty. I've had times of abundance. And if you're like me, you're thinking, is that school still accepting applications? Paul knew what it was like to be in the school of abundance as well. Remember this, even though he was a Jew, he was born a Roman citizen which meant that either he'd come from a, a wealthy family or he'd come from an important family or maybe a wealthy and important family. Before becoming a Christian, he was a rising star among the Pharisees, this influential group of teachers in, in Israel. And even during Paul's ministry, even during the times where he gave everything up, he still probably experienced times of abundance. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We wish we had more time with you today, but sadly, that's all we have to share from Pastor Ricky's message today. However, you don't have to stop learning from the happiest book in the Bible. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in Philippians and let the joy Jesus has to give you become your go-to emotion. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other Better News Radio series, we'd like to invite you to visit betternewsradio.com. 
You'll even be able to subscribe to our podcast, watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video, and download a free book. If you're searching for a church in your area, we'd also like to point you to the Church tab at betternewsradio.com. There you'll find a resource to help you locate a great community of faith that would be happy to welcome you into their family. If you're in El Paso, we'd love to have you come by Cross of Grace Church. Find directions and service times at the Church tab as well, right there online at betternewsradio.com. We know that some of our listeners today may be experiencing some difficulties in life, And we'd like to let you know that you're being prayed for regularly here at Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Thanks again for being part of our listening audience. Join us next time to keep experiencing the happiest book in the Bible, right here on Better News Radio.